This following episode contains spoilers for the film or films being discussed. You have been warned. in the movies we see, the big set pieces, the famous dialogue, the twists, the naked times. But film is an entity made up of hundreds of little moments that either make them special or relegate them to obscurity. We are here to talk about those moments. Welcome to Movie Microscope. Kick it, Movie Microscope. Today's episode is born on the 4th of July. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Latest Movie Microscope. My name is Nick Nunziata. I am your gracious host. Alongside me, the bespectacled, bewitched, bewildering, betrothed, beloved, Tony Morrison acolyte, Justin Waddell. How's it going, sir? It's all right. It's all right. Listening to Brown Wall in the background, that's always a good thing. I miss Brown Wall's dulcet tones. And alongside you, the illustrious John McCarewitz. Welcome back, gentlemen. How's it going, man? Glad to be back. When was the last Magic. time he was on? Do you remember? Mulholland? No, it was Rainbow, or Rainbow, uh, Rambo, Rambo, Rambo. Oh, oh, yeah, that just, was magical. Just Rambo, yeah. Oh, I we Rambo? watched it together. Yeah, that's not too long ago, right? That's not too long ago. Yeah, it was only four or five months ago, three or four months yeah, ago. Yeah, 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 we, that's right. We watched Men Become Meat in War, which luckily <laughs> this movie doesn't have any of. <laughs> it's, got, it's got a little bit. It's got a little yeah. bit. There's some, some meaty scenes uh, yeah. about at 45 yeah. minutes in. So anything cooking on your end, Mr. McCarowitz? Anything interesting to report? No, not much, man. You know, my son, my oldest is off to college in a few weeks, so that's a little bittersweet, but we're gearing up for that. But no, things are good, man. Can't complain. You know, ready for the, the weather to cool off a little bit. I tried to sit outside to record this, but sat out there for about three minutes and realized that was a huge mistake so came down to the basement well uh, have you seen any of the big movies that are out right now so far just mission impossible dead reckoning part one really enjoyed it a little long but dug it definitely gonna see oppenheimer this week and then my uh youngest son is fired up to see the new teenage mutant ninja turtles so i'll probably get uh get into that this weekend so we'll see nice i'm gonna yeah. see barbie this week that's my goal is to get that in nice man i've heard great things i loved oppenheimer Mission Impossible, the more I think about it, the more I like it. I think we have something else on the horizon, too. I don't remember what it was. Justin, what about you? I'm going to go see that Jennifer Lawrence comedy this week. My dad. I don't even remember the name. Is that still in movie theaters? Yeah, I think so. What's it? Do you you remember what? It's got a a suggestive title. Yeah, so I think it is still in theaters, John. I think it's because movie theaters are doing pretty well right now. So I think some of the little movies are still kind of making some money. Because people can't fit in all the, you know, the Barbie's sold out. You know, still. So I'm waiting well, for the punchline, Justin. <laughs> What's the punchline? Of you, you and your dad are going to the movies, and that's what you're seeing. He just wanted to see a comedy. For, he wants to see. He saw. He saw naked. Is what he wants to see. Is she naked? The, the fappening. It's all he needs to do. I'm he, sure he's got him saved. He, he said he saw. Uh, he saw Oppenheimer today. Oh, yeah. He went without me. Did he love it? I didn't talk to him. He was right, scintill- pause the show. Scintillating conversation. <laughs> Uh, I, I saw Asteroid City, which you uh, we talked about last podcast. But John, you saw that right with Nick? 
Twice, yeah. So Nick and I saw in theaters, and then I got it the second it came out on digital and watched it with the family. They're all big Wes Anderson fans. So still kind of like deciding. Um, I, I do enjoy it. I think it's bananas that people are calling it one of his best. I It's great, right? It's Wes mm-hmm. Anderson. But to me, it's, no, it's not even in the top five at this point. But, you know, typically with a movie like that, you know, certain directors, you, you have to marinate, you know, in the film sure. for a little bit, watch yeah, it a yeah. few times. Second time, you know, there's that kind of scene, right? And I don't want to spoil it, but it's it's in one of the sort of theater parts and it's like kind of bizarre. And it I, I got it more the second time. And what I think is really neat is there's a lot of conversations that happen early on in the movie that play out later, you know, because of the meta nature of it that, you know, just blow right past you the first time you see it because you don't even know what you're hearing about. Right. So, yeah, totally dug it. Still kind of thinking about it. But when the emotional piece that just felt missing to me, I didn't necessarily feel the, the the heaviness of Jason Schwartzman's situation. It felt like it was played for laughs. And then I keep reading all these reviews about how heartbreaking it was, where to me, I just thought it was almost aloofness, really, more than anything. Um, but dug it, to be clear. Wes Anderson's uh, just one of those guys I'll always be down for whatever he's got going on. But Justin, you said something earlier. It is interesting, right? So how fast in, in these movies now, especially the way they're rolled out, you know, I'm excited to go see Oppenheimer and IMAX at the AMC near my house. And there's like only three showtimes now because the next film's coming out. And it's it's, uh, it's kind of a crazy time. If you don't catch them on opening weekend, you're seeing them in the smaller theaters, maybe the yeah. not so great presentation. So you got to get on, on top of it these days, right? Yeah, I think the um, IMAX is a little overstated in most of these theaters because unless it's one of those true 70 millimeter ones, right. it's not that different. It's really not that different. Didn't is there a 70 millimeter in Atlanta that's available? The Fox? Doesn't the Fox have one? I, I don't know. Oh my God, Meg, too, this Friday. Nolan is strictly anti-IMAX, right? Like, he hates it. Is that right? <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's also, John, a testament to how good Wes Anderson's films, that that's not in the top five. Right. Because right. it's still damn good, and it still has a lot of merit, but he's just so freaking good and re- reliable. It's, it's interesting that he has... Like so, that movie. I was looking at the box office because I because I don't know necessarily what to make of it yet either, John. And I find that his movies always grow on me. So I just was like, "How's it doing?" You know, and it's like it made like almost fifty million dollars. I'm you know, so his name certainly can pull people to the theaters. You know, like still, and that's a yeah very strange film. You know, well, it was sort of interesting because that Wes Anderson. I don't know if y'all saw it, but there was like this Wes Anderson aesthetic thing happening on TikTok. And what was funny about it is it was pretty clear that the people making these homages to Wes Anderson films had never seen one before, right? Right. Like, they were just, like, focusing on symmetry and, like, weird colors or whatever. And Wes Anderson claims, like, people would send them to him and he would just never watch them. It's, like, too self-conscious and just be weird, obviously. But that feels to me like there was some machinations behind the scenes, like some brilliant marketer made that happen because it just... You're right. I mean, who would have thought that movie... Now, granted, the cast is so large that... It's going to you know, pull in. I mean, Nick and I saw it together. It was interesting. These two guys next to us. I was like, I don't know what film they were expecting, but they got all their, their feelings hurt when there was a kiss between two men. They were like grumbling, like ran out of the theater. And that's the thing I'll never get used to, this idea that people just show up at the movie theater and just pick a movie, right? Like without doing any research. It's truly bizarre. Uh, any more on <laughs> Asteroid City? <laughs> You know, you said it, Justin, you know, Wes Anderson is similar to, you know, there's a lot of filmmakers out there like that where you have to watch them a few times. They sort of grow on you. Mm. But for me, you know, when I think about Grand Budapest Hotel, I remember seeing that in the theater the first time and just grabbing me. 
uh, Royal oh, Tenenbaums yeah. similarly. Oh, yeah, 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 so, sure. I, I mean, yeah, like, you know, French Dispatch watched a couple of times. It took me the, like the second watch that really got me. That was when I watched at home, which, you know, is problematic sometimes because, you know, you're a little too comfortable, mm-hmm. maybe kind of doze off or you, you pause or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm a fan, to be clear. Oh, I and, love him. Um, it's, it's interesting with him is that he's super prolific. Like, that's what's interesting. His stuff is so detailed and, and interesting, and he's pretty prolific. Like, it's like Ridley Scott in a weird way. Like, you always, Ridley Scott, like, turns out movies, and they're always super was, high quality, super, you know, thoughtful. Ridley Scott, Clint Eastwood, and Martin Scorsese are going to get <laughs> fucked more by these strikes than anybody. Yes. Because they've yeah. got so few movies left in them mm-hmm. and so little time, and now this. Well, I, I, I would say the good news is is that Ridley and Scorsese have movies about to come out, right? So Right. Yeah, yeah but their next ones could be delayed, certainly. East, was, but... East one's filming one, I think, right now. Right, but they're not going to be able to, to launch a new one. He's uh, He made the prequel to The Hunger Games. That's his new one that's coming out. <laughs> What's it called? I don't know what it's called. It's like, it really is. It, is exist, it does exist. It's called, like, Song of Something. or. But he did not He did not make that. No, he, he just co-wrote it. He did the music. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get it. Let's get wacky. Let's, folks, it's the movie Microscope. It's the show where we zoom in. We re-gift spent bullets. We get our hard softened by magic. We touch the tip of a Klansman to make sure he's real. We put a human trafficker on blast. We get roughshod with a squid. We get delicious before bed. We give a tadpole a stern talking to. And we unabort a mission like a sultan. Watch a movie through a set of destroyed, diseased, tentacled, racist eyes that have been burgeoned with time and space and gladiated up through the throat and down through the aspidon. See what makes or breaks, share what the likes of you. So if we're talking about lucky numbers, we talk about the scene where Lisa Kudrow French kisses and then fucks a number, thus negating the title. Talk about the little moments. There's a ton in today's movie, Born on Das Fourth of Das July. Was that a criticism of Kudrow? She made a number lucky because she had sex with it. I couldn't say a nicer thing about you it. You said personally. it negated the title. Yeah, you, yeah. It was a slight rip. I don't, I don't like it. I like Kudrow. What do you think, John? What um, I haven't thought about Lisa Kudrow in twenty years, so that's what I think about. It's underrated, man. Tell what me. has she done recently? I mean, I'm, and I'm not saying that facetiously. I honestly don't know. The friend the critic, the Friends reunion. Mm-hmm. What was her show that ran for longer than it deserved? It came back. Like, it came back. Like on Showtime or yeah, it was something. like well, I can't remember what it's called. It's it was a big one, but it's but yeah, it, it, it came back. Huge fan. I can't. Fan. I can't. Remember. I do like her a lot. I think she's very funny. But yeah, uh. I know she's she she's has a lot of great friends that love her. You'll hear people talk about Lisa Kudrow as Conan. their pal. I think Conan. Conan yeah. yeah, doesn't make her. They came up together. Yeah. I don't remember the name of that show, John. It's supposed to be. Oh, where you go? He's taking his pants off. No, we lost video feed. We lost video feed. John, I'm here. This is like when Neil Armstrong went in the dark side. You just gotta know he's there Hello? and hope for the uh, he's back. Lisa Kudrow's fine. Okay. The comeback, that's what it's called. Are you sure that wasn't Nightwatch's filming title? <laughs> By the way, I gotta tell you, I watched uh <laughs> I watched Into the Blue again with the kids this weekend. Paul Walker? I still, lo- I still love that movie to tears. Who's the actress that gets her butt eaten? Her Ashley Scott. Her by a shark it gets the I guess the ass ripped right off of her. Of course obviously Jessica Alba looking great. Mm-hmm. Scott Kahn killing it and josh brolin super killing it and james frayne killing it but even better we watched a movie about a hot air balloon an, an intense disaster film about a hot air balloon was it a fiction what? fictional movie yes it was one of the worst things that's ever happened and i loved it so much because it was so bad it's, william th- baldwin stars oh my god why did you watch it what william baldwin was, on this we were in the hotel room it was the only we we had to we is had it to recent that. A hot air balloon it's called, it's, it's, movie. It's called SOS something or sacrifice. So is he getting? It, 
trapped. It is a student film quality with William Baldwin also in it. <laughs> and so he, like, they're having a fun, like, let's go up in a balloon. And then, the... no, th- here's how fucked up it is it's two sisters who hate each other, like half sisters who reunite in, a, in um, Greece, and they are, they are estranged. And one of them goes to a party and is coerced into going on a hot air balloon ride with some strangers. Yeah. And it goes horribly wrong. Is William anyway, Baldwin in the balloon? There's a subplot where William Baldwin, you think he's this wealthy guy with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. It turns out he's an assassin and he goes to kill. One of the girls for no reason, who mm-hmm. happens to be on a balloon at the time. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, what is your relationship with Born on the Fourth of July, John? I'll have to admit, this was the second time I've watched that film. Uh, I love Oliver Stone, and I feel like I watched this movie in college for the first time. Really dug it, but it's kind of that thing where the material in my mind was heavier than I than it really truly is. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a heavy story, but rewatching it today, I'm like, why haven't I been watching this movie? You know, there's those movies that just. I watch almost like once or twice, you know, a year sometimes or every couple of years. Yeah, my relationship now is strong with it. Um, really, really in- impactful. You know, we'll get into it as we get, you know, deeper into the podcast here. So I don't want to like jump too far ahead, but uh, felt very relevant to today. Insensitive. <laughs> jump jump too far ahead. Insensitive. But Sam, you know, Nick, you and I were talking recently about Oliver Stone and just like that just tear he was on from the late 70s until really the late 90s. Probably more specifically, what do we kind of identify? I mean, you know, even if you take up the I've, writing. Salvador, right? like, yeah, Salvador to JFK, I think, is like his real golden period, maybe. 95, I think, was The Doors or 94. So I think The Doors like is fantastic. I love The Doors. I know Any Given Sunday is a little bit more... Um, I don't know what the right word is pop. You know, it's like it's not as you know strong of a film as some of his others. Not as as weighty, but I enjoy the hell out of that film. I probably watch that movie. It's, it's a know, good. It's a, every couple of years. It's a great filmmaking exercise too. You could see he's having a lot of fun with the medium for sure. The way it was filmed, some of the stuff he did, the technique. You know, and obviously Stone is somebody who is interested in technique, right? He's always experimenting with different film mediums and styles. Um, but that is a very kinetic, you know, sort of approach and very exciting where we sort of talked, obviously, you know, referencing that same conversation. Often sports and film can call, fall a little flat, right? Because it's just, you know, either the actors aren't really athletic or it's just not filmed in a way that's exciting. So anyway, uh, that's why I enjoy that film. I think I've seen it once. I remember I remember it pretty well, though. And so, you know, when I watched it again, I, I did not remember Defoe was in it at all, but I remember... A lot of the scenes, obviously, with Cruz. I remember the ending. But, I, I mean, I liked it. Um, when you say Defoe, do you mean the Vietnamese or are you talking about the government? <sighs> and I thought, <laughs> I remember thinking at the time that I thought the ending was a little underwhelming. Like, it, I, th- I thought the whole movie was very good. And then it kind of collapses into the, oh, he's good now. You know, he's at the convention. You know, like, it's it kind of t- kind of has, like, a tidy wrap-up. But, you know, he that's what happened. So, I thought that, I feel like Stone at the end is a little bored by, you know, the movie right at the end. <laughs> Because he does, he the rest of the movie he's super engaged. Like it's it's very interesting. And Cruz is incredible in this movie. Did he get nominated for this? He, oh yeah, but Daniel Day Lewis, I think that yeah. was the Daniel Day Lewis. Stone won Best Director for this. Yeah, yeah. So uh, myself and and uh, Brian Pollock worshipped this movie when it came out. Uh, we we made audio tapes of quotes from the movie, entire passages from this movie. Not because it was inspirational, because we thought it was funny, like the whole him ranting in, in the house about his penis and the <laughs> and the uh, and and when he's in the hospital getting really angry with people. We just found it fun how pissed off he was, and then with him and Defoe yelling at each other for some reason when he gets his diagnosis, we had audio tapes we'd listen to with that stuff on it with the doctor. 
Yeah, Bob Gunton. But, but I mean, we absolutely. Uh, this was, and it's funny because I don't remember the last forty minutes of this movie at all. Because it's it's sort of like Full Metal Jacket in a way where the first half plus is so strong and so singular. As good as the second half is, and I've grown to love the second half of Full Metal equal to the original, if not more, the first half. But in this movie, it's just such a different tempo that it's. It doesn't have that kind of optimism and wistfulness that clings to you like the first half does. It was like watching a new movie, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, man, Defoe so, was Defoe's so good in this. Like he kind of drops, the, drops oh, in for a minute. Let, let's take the rest of the episode naming all the people in the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why don't you go through stacked. it? What a cast! You got Anne Bobby from Nightbreed, looking cute in this. She is actually, oh, I liked yeah. her Nightbreed. If I remember Who else? right, name another one. Who else you got? John Getz. Of course. John Getz, also great. What about you, John? Got got one? I'm bad with names, as we've established on this podcast, but uh, Raylan Givens' dad from Justified is Raymond it. J. Barry. Yeah, so good. And it was interesting. Tom Berenger, right? Like, he shows yeah. up as the Marine recruiter. Uh, Tommy Sizemore. Tom Sizemore. Stephen we'll talk Baldwin. Talk about another guy with a, a run from the 80s to the 90s. Yeah. That was incredible. You, 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 just, Justin, just say all the Baldwins that aren't Alec are in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Is there two Baldwins? There's three. Three, that's St- right. Steven at the beginning, William at war, and Daniel, yeah, Daniel yeah. at the end, yeah. Yeah, Steven, I forgot, yeah, because he was like one of the high school kids, right, or something at the prom yeah. or whatever. You got Michael, yeah. Michael Wincott. One scene. That's all you need. It's enough. <laughs> yeah, Frank, else? Frank Whaley. Excellent in this movie, despite the hairpiece. Mm-hmm. You got- Frank Whaley is amazing, by the way. Love Frank Whaley. Yeah. He's just, he's just great. You got Jerry Le- Jerry Levine from Who Teen Wolf in this. Great, He's great in this as yeah. well, mm-hmm. playing Ray Kroc. <laughs> you got Kira Sedgwick looking all cute and pregnant when she was making this, uh-huh. making the first bacon. <laughs> she was making bacon. <laughs> you got Bob Gunton, which we mentioned last episode. You got Mark Moses from Aliens. Mark Moses, yeah, that was that's right. He's the optimistic doctor. He is, yeah. I was, I was like, who is that guy? Wait, what? The, the guy who. Tried to fix the machine, basically yep, left. Yep, yeah, yeah. You call yeah. that optimism? That was that's what, no. His name in the cast. His name in the cast is Optimistic Doctor. Are you that's sure hysterical. that's who's he playing? Aliens? Are you sure that's the same guy? He's in one of the Aliens movies, is he not? I don't think so. He's a, he's a very recognizable him. actor, but I didn't recognize him from Aliens. He's in a major action sci-fi thing. But he yeah he's he's in a lot of stuff. I zoom in. He's in a lot. He's on Homeland. He's not in Aliens. Get out of here. Yeah, it makes no sense. He's in Platoon. That's right, Platoon. That's okay. He played the role in Platoon, like the guy in the car in Aliens. Remember, remember in Platoon, he's the guy who doesn't know. He's like out of his element. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he almost gets everybody killed. Gorman. He plays. He plays Gorman. He plays the yeah. He plays that character. Uh, You got Lily Taylor. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You also got young Jake Weber showing up in here. Yes, you do. And you got the absolutely delectable Jason Gedrick in this. Showing up baby-faced. You have... Lily Taylor was not... Um, I liked how she goes, I'll never forgive you, basically right to his face. Yeah, not not acknowledging the fact that he's going through the probably the hardest, most purging moment in his entire life. She doesn't, By the she way, doesn't need the to guy, acknowledge it. I mean, he, she killed her killed her husband. Did you meet her husband? He sucked at the beginning. What was he? he sucked. Who, why did he suck? Tell me. He's the one who introduced himself as the meat. It's like, I'm the meat. I just got here. I've, I'm from Georgia. 
Say goodbye to That's me right. as quick yeah, as yeah, possible. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, because uh, Tom Cruise says something yeah. like, I've never met a Georgia boy. That's, That's right. Yeah, that they flash back to it. And then he, he shot should... him right in the throat four <laughs> minutes later. <laughs> you got is you have the love child of Robert Evans in this. Oh, wow. Who's that? He played his his uh, his his hippie brother is the son of Robert Evans. And what's her name? The famous actress, Ellie McGraw. And uh, he looks exactly like Robert Evans. The, 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 the Cruise's brother? Yeah. And then you also got young Holly Marie Combs in this. Next. She is From adorable Charmed. in this. Yeah, very. From Charmed. And I did not. Okay, th- so you want to talk about this? watching this movie worthwhile alone. I never realized that Mike Starr had a brother. And I never realized that Mike Starr from Goodfellas, his brother played De Niro's dad in Goodfellas. Really? And I see that act because there's that scene in the bar with Holly Marie Combs and Mike Starr is playing pool with Kovic and Frank Whaley. There's another guy they cut to who looks a little like Mike Starr, but probably better. Wait and a that's minute. And that's his brother, Bo Starr, and he played De Niro's dad in Goodfellas. I was going to say, but when so does man. De Niro's dad show up in Goodfellas? He's hardworking. Wait. They play catch. You don't remember this? Wait a minute. Who's, he, he, wait, he, he's got like a De Niro big... shows up and he's like 38. He's already like a man play, about Okay, town. well, you know, he pl- oh, he plays a, a, a person who has integrity. I don't. I forgot exactly. He's some sort of a role model. He's an aliens. Both star from aliens. Yeah, that's right. You, and Nick never acknowledged when he's like, for sure it was sci-fi. He goes, oh, never mind. It was platoon. Yeah, he played Henry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I, I said De Niro. I meant Henry Hill's father. Oh, that oh, makes Henry. sense. I meant Henry yeah, Hill. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I got I got you. I got you. I got you. That makes total sense now. Because yeah, I mean, is... he went, he had integrity. He wouldn't take, you know, he wouldn't take shit. So um, let, me, let me just real quick. You know who else is in this? Is do you remember Casino? Speaking of De Niro, in Casino, there's that scene where those guys are cheating at the blackjack table. You remember this? And yeah. They drag the one guy back there and they break his hand, and then they drag the yeah. guy he's working with back there and show him. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Do you want to have the money? And we'll break your hand, or you just want to leave?" And the guy's like, "I'll leave." That guy's in this. The guy that leaves. I looked. I was oh, like trying yeah. to. I just saw that scene, and he shows up as like a protester. And I was like, "What is that guy's name?" And I couldn't find him because the of, the cast for this movie. There's like a thousand people in this. One of Justin's favorite actors of all time is in this movie. Who? Dale Dye. That's right, Dale Dye's in this. With Ollie Stone in that scene. William Maypother. <laughs> I forgot to mention him. <laughs> Tom Cruise's cousin's in here uh, in one scene. Get, yep. Got an acting job. You got fucking Edie Brickell. Edie Brickell. That's right, yeah. Singing a pretty Sing good version of Yeah, like... What was interesting is I thought a lot about that, actually. Throughout the film, it seemed like they, they didn't want to pay full music rights, so they had a bunch of cover versions of songs. Like, and, but they did it in a way that seemed artful, right? So, like, be the brother playing The Times They Are Changing, or right. Edie Brickell doing Hard Rain. And, I mean, that's cool, right? It works. But I'm like, it was like, even the, the Credence song they played at the bar was, like, some cover version right I, and it was like it was I a cover band like, though right oh, it was a cover band right but i mean yeah. at the same time like they're saving clever by doing yeah. that because you're only paying like the the royal or the royalties based on the songwriting not on the performance so bob dylan's probably going somewhere shaking his fist at all by the way I, I was enjoyed during the credits they they listed uh the, you know the music credits the song up up and away by the fifth dimension you see who owns the music rights to that who's that charles koppelman brian's dad that's where that's where their family made interesting their name. 
Yeah. So, so I didn't, so there was a really cool documentary Questlove did on this, um, uh, you know, sort of all black, um, music festival that was sort of in the same year of Woodstock. I can't remember the name of it. It's worth looking yeah, well, at. Didn't it, he uh, win just, like a Academy Award for it? I think, I think so. It was yeah. phenomenal. It was really interesting, but I never knew the fifth dimension were, were black. And it, it was kind of interesting because they talked a lot about how it actually was a, a problem for them within the community because like they were doing this hippie sort of music. So when that song came on, I'm like, what is this? Like, I never heard that up, up and away song or whatever. That was literally the first time I heard it other than also, maybe when I watched a movie before. Questlove, the name of the Mexico chapter of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> one other, one other, I gotta say, first of all, yes, John C. McGinley has an appearance in this, but the guy who plays the father of the soldier that Ron Kovic kills is an actor named Tony Frank who died shortly after this movie came out. You've seen him a million times in movies. He's, he's this old kind of southern looking guy, mm-hmm. really old, old, old guy. When this movie was made, he was three years older than me and Justin. <laughs> Oh wow! Really? Did, yeah. And and look at that dog shit. It is really amazing when you watch stuff even from the '80s and you see how people looked in their fifties. You yeah, know, we look good, like though. dog shit. Yeah. yeah John, so you don't have ready. to say it. You don't have to say how good we look. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, so, I'm, poor. I'm, I'm not too far behind, guys. You know. <laughs> so the premise of the story is that uh, 30 minutes in is that Ron Kovic is a very a uh, patriotic young man growing up in Massapequa, Long Island, where the Baldwin brothers did grow up, who uh, aspires to, to follow in his family's footsteps and go into the military and defend his country. Uh, and unfortunately, the timing that he's alive is when Vietnam happens and a lot of the things that he took pride in uh, faded, and he got caught in the middle of it and was uh, paralyzed, and this is his story. This movie is filled with moments that are so uh, hardwired to me just from watching this movie so many times and from... Oliver Stone, one of his gifts is that he's able to do these really uh, scalpel precision kind of moments and images that just linger or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember there's this, that when the film starts off there at this Fourth uh, of July parade, all joy and it's all, you know, everybody's happy. And then they show the veterans mm. and they had this guy with no arms who's walking. And I, it's just stuck so hard with me. The look on that guy's face and, and, then, and then Stone cuts to the young man who's playing young Ron Kovic, that is powerful stuff right out of the gate. Well, and what was interesting is I thought a lot about that, too, because the kind of way it starts out, right, it's Ron Kovac. He's like six or seven, eight, whatever, running through the woods with his friends playing war. They, you know, someone throws a firework and then that firework, it's like this great cut. And so through the credit sequence, it was really like as the credits ended, I realized that they just told like 15 years of story in a very meaningful way. And like, you know, the economy of his ability to kind of set that up it didn't there was hardly any dialogue but there was another moment too that you might have noticed nick where there was that guy in the wheelchair in the parade and someone throws a firework and you can see him have this like brief moment of ptsd and that's and Ron called, well that, that's right and it's called back later in the film because the same thing happens to to tom cruise playing ron kovac ron kovac is not related to ron kovic and it's just those moments and it made me think about how you know for example, right now on Apple TV, there's a movie about a plane hijacking that's nine, It's or a TV show, I should say, that's nine hours long. It's like, how it's can you... It's losing me. It's losing me. It's like the absurdity of doing a plane hijacking story that takes nine hours to tell. And Oliver Stone, in about five or seven minutes, basically set up the patriotism, his childhood, like the parade, small town America, excited to go to war in five or seven minutes, right? And it's... It's it's to me it goes back to limitations are the best friend of artistic creativity 
And I just really thought that that was a great example. I mean, it really stuck with me how just brilliant that, I mean, the credit sequence, you know, just yep. as the credits are rolling. I say credit sequence, it was really more the, you know, montage that was built around the credits, but uh, masterful opening, in my opinion. John Williams in this. Yep, that's right. Laying it on thick. Yeah. Laying it on thick. A lot of these themes you've heard in other movies since, in other or commercials and stuff. There's a lot of well, familiar stuff in here. Robert Richardson, so, right? Yeah. You know, I know we're jump. You know, I'm jumping to the other uh, crew members there, but um, Scorsese, Stone, and Tarantino—not a bad uh, guy on on the yeah, Rolodex. And and Pietro Scalia was a uh, was an early was an assistant editor on this, and he became one of Ridley's guys, if I'm not mistaken. That's um, right. You get, you get to see Stephen Baldwin climbing some pegs, which I've always wanted to, to see. You get to see Tom Cruise being as Tom Cruise as possible. Watching him during the wrestling sequences, the training, how over the top he is and how fast and aggressive and into it he is, it's, it's great. It just, it just makes the fall that Ron Kovic goes through that much more hard. He gets his clock cleaned on the wrestling mat. Yeah. He loses. I mean, it's wrestling, though. Who gives a shit? You know? That's what happens to me and Marvel Snap. He was, cry, he was crying on the mat. He was all yeah, upset about it. It's wrestling. It. I mean, happens to me and Marvel Snap, my phone game. I, I feel it. You know, I feel the wrestlers. <laughs> um, is that is that a reference to Thanos? Of course. My uh, It's a card game, John. It's a deck builder. I don't know if you. Not anyway, not so the uh, uh, I'll send you some info. They. <laughs> the parade they're playing uh one of the bands on the one of the floats is playing rock around the clock and it brought me back to when i was in high school i was at a, on a playing mini golf and they had trivia and there was a rock they, they played as t- uh, they said the question was what's the first like what was the first consider the first rock and roll song and this guy said rock around the clock and i i said oh that's an easy one yes. to my friend you know i just said i said so that's kind of an easy one i was a teenager i don't know yeah because the guy was gonna kill me like he was so you're your friendship ended no the guy i didn't know him the guy that answered with his family is like older than me he thought i was criticizing him i just said it was an easy question he wanted to kill me like he yelled at me he threatened me (laughs) what was amazing about it is you were both incredibly like by years wrong so now you can both uh, settle into that no but i think at the time at least then it was like considered it was supposed to be like considered the first rock and roll song of course it's not but like uh, anyway, I he was mad, yeah, and he yeah. he th- he threatened me, John, and you know I was just a little guy, you know I didn't know what probably, to do. He's probably really dumb, right? And that was the one. He was like, I finally get this opportunity to shine, and then mm-hmm. you told him it was an easy one. So you you know it's like you should have zo- you should have zooped in from the future. Yeah, and corrected us both. Said it was Ike Turner's Rocket Fifty Eight, man. That's what it was. That was the first rock and roll tune. Oh, he would have been so pissed if you said that. He would have started trying to beat you up. Ike well, Turner? just like just not unlike Ike Turner. <laughs> exactly. Really violent. Yeah. Let's sock you right in the mouth, just like Tina Turner. So let me zoom in. There's a scene early on where uh, Mr. Tom Berenger comes and does a recruitment speech to the to the men of the school, Mm -hmm. and you get to see Tom Cruise's little cadre of friends. You got Frank Whaler there, you got Levine there, you got Stephen Bald. There's another guy with glasses there who looks exactly like my father did at that age. So whenever I see photos of my dad from that age, that guy could be a dead ringer for him. Now my dad's a dead ringer, but no, there's just an actor who, who just just looked like my dad. I just had to bring it up. I Sit can laugh because right. my dad, my dad's seven year death anniversary was two days ago, so I can there laugh at that joke. They don't make a cake for that. Here's what's amazing: Tom Cruise works at the AMP. Do you guys remember AMP? Kind yeah, of, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. That was like yeah. one of my favorite places to go as a youngin. Did that just die? That whole chain go to hell? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
Um, it probably, I, I would imagine it got probably like absorbed by like a Kroger or one of the big, because like Kroger owns Ralph's and like seven other brands. I think, that, yeah, I think that may have been one of the first victims of cancel culture because I found out, it zoomed in and it stands yeah, what for, is it stand a, for ass and puss. <laughs> go down to the local ass and puss and shop. That's probably That's what, why they Tom Cruise, down. speaking of, when he was working there, he's trying to get a date with Kara Sedgwick and she's asked her to the prom and she's already going and now this is the little girl that when the and they're when they're young he, she gives him a hat and they later kiss and he's and not into she, it he's not he into says, it let me show you how many push-ups i could do yeah and she, she's like if you could just get me under those push-ups <laughs> she dumps him she she okay. moves on because he's not into uh he's not but he's she still shy is rooting for him with her other boyfriends at his baseball games she and is, at his, yeah. yeah fairweather fan no I, I to be fair i think what that because that kiss was like when they were 12 or something. And this was like years later. Zoom I think in. he was just really like, you know, focused on his failing wrestling career. Cause obviously he lost the big game. So what he should have been done was getting busy with care of Sedgwick. Instead he was getting busy, getting his so, butt kicked. So he realizes wrestling. this. And so he, he, <laughs> he, uh, runs through the rain to the prom that he doesn't have a date to. He cuts in on a dance where she's totally bored with her date and then he starts making out with her. What about the guy that took her to prom? I kind of feel bad for him. A little I know bit. he spent. He took her to dinner. He spent money. <sighs> I didn't feel so bad because you know ultimately he Kara has Sedgwick, his legs. Well, good point. I was going to say because Kara Sedgwick uh, fell victim to Bernie Madoff's scam, so he would have you know lost you know in thirty years he would have lost all his money. Fair enough. So, yeah. You know, good to avoid that relationship. How do you feel like these these two played uh, teenagers, Kara Sedgwick and? Um, Cruise more successfully than her in my opinion. Agreed, I agree. Yeah. With you, yeah, she looked. Yeah, she looked. She was like pregnant 30. at the time, though. She, you know, there were two people acting on screen right then. <laughs> Cruise, yeah, he does a pretty good job playing a kind of a, a, a gawky. He's not gawky though, but he's he he does a pretty good job playing a, a young guy, like a naive. Kind yeah, of teen, yeah, for sure. How old was he? Because he, I mean, he's probably only 24, 25. Well, he's born think, in right? nineteen sixty-two, so seventy-two. What day? What day? Oh, shit, yeah. July third, my birthday. Mm-hmm. So he was in his late 20s, yeah. Yeah. Tom Cruise does indeed go to the war as Ron Kovic, unfortunately. It goes wrong pretty quick. The film shifts gears, the color palette shifts gears, and Oliver Stone goes knee-deep into what he's so good at. Those scenes, even though they're... They're short. He soaks it up. He's got, and you got what's his name? The guy from uh, Running Scared who plays his his commander in the in the in the field. Yeah, I love that the, guy. Uh, he yeah. gets destroyed in the head. He gets shot forever. You got this is where you get to see glimpses of Billy Bald. You get to see Jason Gedrick. You know, what do you think of that scene? The the war scene where where he accidentally shoots a friend. So I mean, I thought it goes back to that economy of storytelling that oliver stone because justin you touched on this earlier i felt like the first three quarters were just like masterful felt a little rushed in the end great example where it basically felt like within 10 15 minutes they told the story of the vietnam war you know just panic unorganized you know the viet um kong were like super crafty and like knew how to take advantage of like you know i mean we are most people know that the, the the way they won that war. But when you walk into that village and you see the damage that was done just over their panic and you know misfiring, I mean it, it's it's a, it's a powerful scene. Let's just David, put it that way. David Warsharsky is his name. Thank God we got that to, got yeah. to the bottom of that. The, but, any, <laughs> any relation to Vi? <laughs> they you get to see them. There's a village that they accidentally annihilate. Uh, they get yeah. a hundred percent kill rate on women and children. They win that skirmish. Uh, they, it's a complete fatality, uh, flawless victory. 
They, you know, and, Stone very obsessed with showing, and rightfully so, kind of the the horrors of war, right? Like the stuff here is really gory, and this the wounds that Cruz suffers are are very gory in this as well. Like the way his black back was blown out, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, and the way that uh, the guy gets people get shot, unassuming, just minding their own business, and then a bullet blows them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's intense stuff. That amazing sequence where he goes and tries to confess to his commanding officer, yeah. John Getz. And the guy will have none of it. He's already a part of the machine. It's a hard scene. Yeah, he's like, you know, I, I think I killed. I think I killed him. And he, he said, I don't think so. Like he keeps saying, I don't think so. Is that the line? It's some line. That's yeah. yeah it's pretty it, much it, that. And then he yeah. gets mad at some certain point. Like you mm-hmm. know, basically. It's like the him. scene in Casualties of War where Tom, where Jay Fox tries to convince you know that Sean Penn and those guys raped that girl, and they just don't want to hear it. They just don't want it. This, I think it was Dale Die in that scene. Stone did three Vietnam movies. I know he did Born on Fourth of July. He did Platoon. But Platoon. What what's the did, third one he, he did? did Heaven on Heaven yeah, Earth. Yeah, that's right. He was also there. I don't. Know if yeah, he, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's yeah. He has. He got the same. T- the trivia said he got the same two uh, medals that Ron Kovic himself got. There's so that's the first combat scene, and then they quickly go to the scene where Mr. Kovic loses his uh, ability to walk. And that's a different sequence where they're kind of walking. The cover poster where you see that close-up of his eyes, that's an amazing shot where the camera's following him as he's walking. You could see that he's already kind of hardened by the war after what had happened. Yeah. And you could tell he's, he's a different person. They get rocked yes. big time. He gets shot in the heel. Scene. There is one thing that has always bothered me about this sequence, and now I can't not notice it in other movies, where they, they don't want to blow up an actual helicopter, so they'll have a helicopter fly oh. on the side of a on the other side of a something where you can't see it, and then an explosion will happen. Mm. Blow up the damn helicopter! <sighs> don't fake out. Blow it up. That helicopter looked like it was doing fine, to be yeah. honest. You know what I mean? It was yeah. just like cruising along. It was, I think they, yeah, it, yeah. it was all di- it was all audio. Like, oh no, we hate Not it. The helicopter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some guy. <laughs> I, I did look it up because I was curious. Um, Fifteen million dollar budget. So I mean, they did that lean and mean. I mean, even for the eighties, that was still a. Well, they a, said a, that a lot of people had to take the, take a pay cut because they they thought the film was going to be a huge. Well, they thought it was going to be a not financially successful. So they right. Were thrifty. Yeah, Stone and Cruz, I guess, paid, you know, got scale and got a back end deal or whatever on profits is what I saw there. So yeah, and you know, yeah. would have liked a back end deal. Yeah, Kovic himself. But the uh, the wheelchairs were all CG, though. I, I was very surprised to see that they invented CG just for the wheelchairs in this. Um, you know what I would say? Because, you know, hold up, we're going to get to it later, right? But, like, you go through the names in the credits or whatever, and it was like, oh, the credits are only two and a half minutes long. It's like, oh, this is because it's pre-CGI where they don't have to list, like, 75,000. I love how they broke the cat the credits down by location. Though. I thought it was kind of cool so you could... Well, it was interesting. It actually. I had to pause yeah. because I, I was like, there's like three lists of names going at any given time. But I, did I do like, like that, when sure. they show the people at the end, they show their credits with the with the person. I wish they would have done that for more people because there's so many greats in this movie. Yeah. I wish films did that all the time where you see the person. I think it's such a great. I know Uncommon Valor uses it. Oh, you mean they show footage from the movie and they put the n- actor's name over it? Yeah. The, main, do, the main people. Yeah, but they yeah. did like the little kid like who played the young Ron <laughs> Kovic and the, his mom. Yeah. His mom got her. her yeah. yeah, well, she gets a big scene in this movie. Yeah, and then they and then they had she a picture. Sucks, by the way, I she really, does. She, I really then, hated her. And then they show Kira Sedgwick, and then it says "traitor" underneath <laughs> her name in this because she she's less excited about him when he loses the ability. She to, tries. 
Look, eh. she's a, she's moved on a little bit. She's I mean, the Jenny of this movie. She's constantly on to other. Dudes. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have that feeling. I felt like um, they don't shit on like, her character a little. It, in this. Yeah, something happened, which is why I have to. She's a traitor. I don't think so. I felt like that. You know, he he was more focused on his wrestling, and then you know, sent her apparently some pretty awkward letters that were really long from the yeah, war. That's right. You know, he sucks. <laughs> after one kiss, forget so about the- like. And then he's like, you know, running around complaining about his dick getting shot off. You know, like <laughs> I think he's he, like, I, I was under a Malaysian hooker thinking about you the other day. But I think that he, I think that she was into him. I think that she would have been interested if he came back and could, I, you know, I think that is implied, but she has moved on a little bit. Yeah. And they, they've had different experiences. You know, it just feeds into his whole, you know, he, he has to wrestle with that. Like that he's, he feels certainly less. Hopefully, it's more successful. Less than you know. Well, but even when he comes back, though, because at that point he was not yet, like he hadn't settled on the idea that maybe the Vietnam it was bad fully yet. Like he was still in that moment, right? So he went. He kind of goes along with things, but he, you know. So I think that was where that came from. So he definitely starts off more wanting to have eyes for her than to do anything about it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You see him. He's he's slow to turn in this thing. The scene where he gets shot, by the way, how does he get shot in the back of his foot from the front? I think it's the. I think you just see the sh- like the way the bullet explodes out the back. Like I think he got hit in the front because like the same thing happens later. You see a small bullet hole in his chest, but when the other soldier picks him up and carries it, it's like this huge yeah. like. Oh, he got like, front foot shot. All yeah, right, maybe. I, I'm assuming it's just it's just I think it's like a bullet goes in and explodes, right? And so it's it like blows him. out the back. So maybe, it's 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 super gross. Yeah, yeah it, is. it looks hate, like it hurts. Yeah. Then Tarantino gets, turned the movie off when that's <laughs> then, then he gets real shot, and then he wakes up in a nightmare hospital. Oh, you know, that's this that's where this movie really kind of starts to kick some asshole. Yeah. You know, he um we get to go through this awful experience with Ron Kovic where he's infirm. He is finding out about his predicament. He's also seeing the conditions in which these VA you know, these VA hospitals are. It ain't great. And then he fucks up because he may have had a shot. He's getting all cocky about how good he is with all of his stuff. And then he falls and shatters his bone through his leg. Remember yeah. that? That's yeah. rough. That's a it rough is. sequence. He's complaining about his neck hurting. And then they lift up his pants and the bone sticking out of his leg. Well, yeah. Um, but, speak, but keep in mind, it's more about saving the limbs than it is yeah. about him being able to walk again. But that's what really jeopardizes his ability to keep his leg, which is a little subplot. Well, there is that part where he he's like, even though the doctors are telling me he's not going to walk, he is, and he's just you know he keeps wanting to do it. He's dragging his legs around, kind of on those crutches, and you know, hence falls. Yeah, he's but, working uh, his ass off trying to get his legs working again. He's and he's doing everything he can to to like kind of get back to his old self. But you know, he's he's certainly got the determination, but it's not happening. You know, and so you then, can see his spirits are up, and he's kind of the old Ron for a little bit there. Yeah, he's, and then his leg gets haywired, and he is no longer the Ron we love. Yeah, well he. He's, he lo- he certainly loses uh, faith after a while. He's, he gets stuck at there. his own puke for two hours. Yeah, and there's so much poop and puke in these sequences. And Stone does not shy away from the grotesque. There's rats in, in there. The rats are badass. And there. the rats yeah. are like somehow skating on. Somebody had a bunch of vinyl records on the floor, and the rats were having a blast on them down there. Or well, a rat. Know, I would I say you might be overselling rat. that scene. Having a I mean, I, we touched on it earlier, but. Oliver Stone, you know, was in the Vietnam War, and, you know, I would say this, my dad was as well, and it, unless my mom had told me, I wouldn't have known. Like, he did not talk about it, and 
I think that one particular, and obviously that's what this movie's all about, right? Is, you know, these young men go over based on politicians, government, patriotism, just like whatever. You know, there's all these motivations that people get involved in a war. And then you realize once they're over there that it's just maybe loosely related to some sort of foreign policy dispute with Russia or whatever. But in reality, you know, it's just part of the, the mechanism, you know, the uh, military industrial complex. And then they come back and then what we spit on the soldiers you know, or we get mad at the soldiers that are upset about what happened to them. And, you know, that same thing happens today, right? It's the divide and, and conquer approach that a lot of these politicians are so brilliant at. But uh, that well, that piece, that scene, that those scenes in the film, I think, to me, is what makes it so emotionally powerful. Um, just showing how little, even today, right? Like John Stewart, I would say, is a great advocate for veterans and we literally have politicians still to this day voting down things that help for example the men who and women who were in um iraq and afghanistan and exposed to toxic chemicals and they're they're saying no we're, we're not going to you know produce funding for that and it's just absolutely fucking disgusting and i mean that's where i felt like watching this movie i was like man it's like you know this could just be made today and like you know would it be that different you know, uh, different time, different music, perhaps. But at the end of the day, that story is still a story that's happening yeah. to this day. A lot, probably, probably a lot of blues traveler if it was made today, right? Is what you're saying? <laughs> probably better hair appliances too. They, uh, oh yeah. Um, no, yeah, my dad was. My dad was. In, my dad got drafted. He was over at. He actually got drafted, and then he was in Thailand as a military policeman. So he didn't have to go to Vietnam, but he certainly got drafted and was yeah. almost sent there. You my know? dad was in Germany ammunition sergeant yes yeah, so wow. we all have like go. and we've carried on in their footsteps um, yeah now we're doing podcasts same thing. Podcasts. <laughs> look podcast tough you know it's tough there's that stuff out there there's a lot of them you I know mean, i had and, internet issues earlier i had to go mm-hmm. upstairs you guys yeah me making a drink i mean you know it's very uh, uh, I've been I mean, look, what, tonight. look what happened at the start of the show i had the wrong microphone setting you know what i'm saying i got was, i got to the vineyard vine store a couple hours late <laughs> no um Please tell me you didn't go to the Vineyard Vines. I did not go to the Vineyard Vines store. (laughs) By the way, we should start Derek Vineyard Vines, and it's just American History X memorabilia. (laughs) We... We uh, we, um, skipped over to the part at the the beginning when Tom Cruise is hiding a Playboy. His mom finds it, and then he later shows up at a diner holding the same Playboy like he's reading it at a diner with his buds. I did not catch that. I didn't know. I mean, I saw the first part i didn't know it was at the diner he pulled it out of the trash then apparently right says, well he looked he they, left the house with it he they handed it to him oh, to throw in the trash right. my man was high-fiving himself yeah, and yeah, then high-fiving yeah. something else you know what i'm saying down there but he was yeah. thrilled Penis. yes he was yeah. thrilled when his mom was like throw it out yeah he did his not. dad was like not so fast <sighs> i am raymond barry one of the great actors who does not work enough by the way was He's, it jimmy levine is that the the guy's name the, who's levine the, the, in that yeah. scene, the diner what's scene. The, what's the guy's name? Jerry Levine. Jerry Levine. Jerry Levine. Jerry Levine. Jerry Levine had the right idea, though, didn't he? He's like, you know, fuck this like communism shit. I don't see communism around here. I'm gonna go make hamburgers, and you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna stamp a hole out of the middle of it, say forty four thousand dollars a year, and just throw some tomato and lettuce on top. That and guy get had his hot ass waitresses, and he had his yeah. own float at the parade for Ronnie Key. 
Yeah, which, um, which, which is amazing because really, like, I didn't think about it even until just now because I was just like in the moment watching the film. But that's like almost like a great example of Stone just like being a little like thrown in there. Like, there's the capitalism happening, you know. Like, there's this other part of they, like they make fun. I'm not going to get in the war, and I'm going to like you know figure out how to screw the customer. And you know, they make, make fun profit. of him for going to get his business degree. That's right. And how's that work out? He's yeah. He, he he still had a working penis. He so. does. His penis rocks, man. It's a good one. <laughs> they, um, so <laughs> no, it's but he he's one of them, the first people that throws cold water on um, Cruz's Girls. patriotism oh. whenever he comes home, and he's like, "Look what happened to you!" Like he you know he, he offers him a job as a cashier. I, I love that though because yeah. those yeah. these are friends. Like he's one of the few people that can say something like that. I do love the fact that um, Frank Whaley and that and, and Levine are basically. They are speaking to him. They're telling him the truth from their own perspectives, and there's no bullshit coding it. It's like two of the few relationships that are completely at face value. I don't think he stays friends with Jerry Levine's character. I think that doesn't no. go over right. But I think that you know Frank Whaley, on the other hand, has been through it. He's been he was over there. Like he understands you know what Cruz went through. You know he was he has PTSD. Yeah, he, like they they can relate. I think there's this there's a you know there's a separation between those two friends and it's also alluded that the other guys that were in their group of friends were occupied they died yeah they they Stephen baldwin is climbing pegs towards god right now and he's climbing pegs in this movie raymond j barry did he not die no he still lives are you sure he is he was so good in falling down he's great in the ref he's great in oh, interview yeah. with the assassin where he played yeah. the jfk's murderer well, he's the cop in the rough, right? Like the the captain. Like yeah, the, he's yeah. Like the, yeah. yeah still crushing it. Yeah. You're right. I, fu- I fucked your wife. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The ref, just, by the way, we need to do the ref if you haven't the, already. It's one of the best. Uh, and, we'll and, save that for the holidays. We'll save that for Spacey Month. <laughs> got acquitted. He just got acquitted. Yeah. The French, um, though, they have assault. a loose. They're, they're a little more liberal when it comes to sexual assault. The French was it France? I thought like, he was in England. I thought it was England, UK. Oh, you're right. Was it England? Okay, never mind. God only knows what goes on over there. I might be they wrong. call cookies biscuits, so it's like a complete upside yeah. down society. I think they called them that first. But well, it's let's stupid, talk about okay. It. So when he's okay, well, he's back home. I I do have to mention though, when he is talking about calling the place a slum and saying he needs a bath and all that stuff, it's some of the most great hysterionic acting I've ever seen. After this Levine thing, he goes and has that heart-to-heart with Frank Whaley, which is a great scene that I did not remember. That's a wonderful scene. Both of those guys kill it in that scene. You know, they start partying together. He starts doing some drugs, hanging out, uh, gets in some bar fights with the Star Brothers, and that's the scene where he, the big famous, big fucking erect penis sequence where he's running through the house. That should have won him the Oscar, that scene where he's Mm -hmm. crying to his parents. That is a brutal scene. And everybody is on fire in that moment. Like, and the, I think the every, mother has her moment too. I think the reason it didn't produce that Oscar is because the mom is such a night. Like, like I hated that mom after that scene. It's like the nerve. Well, you hated of her you. character. Well, just no, not well, just yeah, the character. Like the nerve of somebody to preach patriotism and God. Like the whole, you know, early part of the film. It's like going to war is like what God wants, God and country, and all this shit. And then her son, you know. Yeah, just but I think that she to cast him aside just because he's struggling with. They the plant the seeds for that paralyzed. early, though. The way she reacts to him losing at wrestling. Yeah, for sure. Hundred percent. That's what I'm saying. She sucks. But no, but she also like. I feel like in a way, you know, like when he comes home, she's not prepared for him to be different than than her, you know, son that she loves so much, and and then when he's just loose, she doesn't know how to handle it, and he's going absolutely nuts, 
and everybody in the family doesn't know how to handle it. It's just she's kind of the target of it for some reason, maybe because they have he has such a kind of a loving relationship with his dad and maybe a harder relationship with his mom. But I, I don't think she's a bad actress. I thought she was good. In, not bad actress. Yeah. I think bad character. You just don't I like just... her as a – she's not sympathetic to you. I see, yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah, just in terms of, once again, you know, coming back from war, paralyzed, mm-hmm. like you would expect maybe a certain amount of, sure. you know. Yeah, and she can't str- deal with it. She just can't deal with it. And she's doesn't want to deal with it, which is bad. And she's he needs also, her to do it. He needs her to deal with it. And she, a little she bit uh, too God's willy about the whole thing. That's he, a, I guess I would just suggest this. Like, don't don't be so enthusiastic about sending your kid off to war if you're not willing to deal with some well, of the it was challenges him, that may come with it. He, he, it's not her. She did not push him to do it. He, it was his idea. Like he, he got, he got uh, hooked by the the sales pitch. Tom Berenger's sales pitch. But who raised no, the kid? No, no, and also, but he also. The, <laughs> no, because he's playing. Fair war, enough, man. Like, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. No, and the and his, the he's you know. every generation of their family had, mm. had been. Yeah, well, the so, dad's yeah. not hot. He's not too. He's not too keen on Cruz going. Well, he, yeah, yeah. There's. I love it. There's a couple of scenes where in that moment where he's saying, "Dad, tell her. Dad, tell her." So there's obviously. His father's wearing some of that yeah. PTSD as well, and he's kind of hiding it in the AMC in the uh, AMP bags or whatever. But, but she does have a point. You can't say penis in the house. That no is penis. a no-no, and what, I think he, he breaks the rule. I love that. Mo- I made notes, but I know Nick like literally had audio recordings. But what is it? my big like, hard big penis. fucking erect penis, his <laughs> yeah, mom. Right. Big but he, penis. but he's he's screaming this stuff, and then he's saying these really heartbreaking little anecdotal things about how it affects them it's it's such a great scene if this is why what i know so many people who loathe tom cruise they just loathe him Mm -hmm. and a lot of it is because either i know that there's a few that because he was in top gun and it was this no because he because he jumped on the couch in oprah that's why they don't that too but also top there's a lot a lot of military family people hate tom cruise for top gun because he they think that it sold a bill of goods about the military that wasn't true even though it re- more people signed up because of that than than you know, a lot of count. parents of bartenders also don't like them. Cocktail, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and also anybody who you know, legend. Anybody who legend, <laughs> he Probably is so freaking known. good in this and so raw. Yeah, he's good. Go, he, he goes up and down all of the whole it's scale. A, I mean, it's personnel. a. It's it could be a try hard performance. I think it's very it's certainly a showcase for his abilities, and I think he. He is pretty good in it. The the thing is, as soon as he comes back home, it's wig time. Like, what's going on with his hair? Like, you know, is he, he immediately has weird hair for the rest of the movie. Well, Ron Kovic had weird hair. Yeah, so. but, like, he did, yeah. And he, I think he's losing his... He lost his hair. Is that what they're kind of... Yeah, yeah he's, so. he had shitty hair and, and Tom Cruise. And so Ron Kovic co-wrote the screenplay and also was a consultant on this. And, and yeah. his one thing to Stone is, you ain't making this movie if his hair isn't awful. They were going to have Al Pacino play that part? I'm so glad that didn't happen. Yeah, but he, apparently, I looked that up, that was like, like it was going to be a TV movie like in 1978 or something. It was like, they that's when they originally wrote it, Oliver Stone and Ron Kovac. Mm-hmm. And I think if I'm not mistaken, um, um, director of The French Connection, his name just escaped me. Um, Freakin I mean, uh, was supposed to yeah. direct it. That's right. Based on mm-hmm. the screenplay. But that's Wes Anderson. But later it, um, uh, for a minute there, uh, Charlie Sheen uh, was promised it post-Platoon. Was he um, promised he was, it? 
Well, that's what he claims, and that Oliver Stone didn't even call him to tell him no. And then I guess Sean Penn was also considered along with Nick Cage. I wonder why. They, what I, I can see why they wouldn't use that Stone wouldn't use Charlie Sheen again for another Vietnam movie. You know, it'd be confusing. It'd be weird. People would yeah. like it's like the same character. Yeah. And I love Charlie Sheen to death, but he would have not done well. I don't think. No. In this role. Mm-hmm. Sean Penn could have done a good job. I'm not sure about Nick Cage, but Sean Penn would have. You I know. mean, they've, they've all done their... Actually, Nick Cage is in one of my favorite post-war trauma Cage movies. would have been great, actually. Birdie, great movie. Cage yeah, back in the day, point. man. I mean, he's still good, but Cage back in the day could have done it. Yeah, he just, yeah, yeah. He just would have made it... He would have really leaned into... I think Tom Cruise sells the all-American thing yeah, sure, really, really sure. well. Yeah. And then the movie changes tonal temperature again when they go to Mexico. Because basically after that thing, Dad's like, you got to go. Your mom is beside herself. I'm not going to get any nookie... Well, he has that heartbreaking scene with his dad. He's like crying. He's like, "Who's gonna love me? I'm not like I, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't work. Like I can't, I can't have sex." I like, get the sense Tom Cruise's or Ron Kovacs' dad hasn't had sex since the last kid was born. With that cold, uh, no, he tells he whispers in Cruise's ear. I hit it every night, but it's fine. You know, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> Just sometimes to let I know. hit the A, sometimes I hit the P. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, the Mexico sequence. Um, was what like fifteen minutes? I mean, it's it's a short little. Genre well, he says it, his dad whispers like when right. He goes, he's like, I don't know what to do, Dad. He goes, Look, I, I booked you a ticket to Mexico. Go see Willem Dafoe. You know, like so. He, I looked it up. So that it's not called what it was called in the film, but there was a sort of place, and it was actually in Guadalajara, which is you know an hour from the sea or whatever. Mm-hmm. But for like you know men typically from war that were handicapped and maybe was less prone to have pores everywhere but that is a real place that ron kovac went ron kovac and ron kovic vacationed at different times so they were never able to exist in the same place and create wheelchair voltron so i thought that was sort of interesting i had to look that up i was like where is this place where there's just you know veterans in wheelchairs and you know prostitutes and gambling and you know, I love it so much. That scene is it's it is too short. I love that stuff. Willem Dafoe is electric in those scenes. It's nice to see Wincott's an early Sizemore rolling around. Sizemore's great. <laughs> Literally rolling around. He fucking kamikaze that one dude in that one scene. Sizemore yeah. man, like that's one thing. R.I.P. by the way, but Sizemore, he is so good so early in almost on. Almost everything he's ever done. Like Nick said yeah. one time, he's like just he shows up fully formed, like fully baked. Yeah. Yeah. Just so good in movies. And really in this, he has like two scenes in this and he's he stands out, yeah. It's really heartbreaking his story, right? But man, I, I wa- actually was Nick. Remember, we hung out and you had heat on. Watched like twenty minutes of it, yep. and then whatever. I literally watched it the next day, and I just watched it like four months ago. That movie's so fantastic. But him, I mean, gosh, you look at his run from probably starting around the born of the Fourth of July up until the late nineties. Yep. Uh, I don't think there's an actor, a character actor, that has been that solid, that amazing, that compelling, that magnetic than Tom Sizemore. I didn't like. I remember. Uh, I mean, M- M- Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock in the Heat. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember Sizemore in that. We talk about? about bad hair pieces. You though. just said McCarthy. Strange Days. Uh, Tom Sizemore might have the worst hair piece of film of all time in that movie, Strange Days. Which Nick, I know you don't really like all that don't much, like but I love that I, movie. I'd rather watch Red Planet, to be honest. It's ambitious and interesting, but it's also yeah, it's a tough watch. And he is—is is he the bad guy in that? I can't tell. Is he? He I, in Strange super Days. Super bad guy. Yeah. I'm so ashamed that we never got another Lieutenant Augusta film. 
sequel to Relic with with uh, I thought that was going to be Sizemore's franchise. Exactly. By the way, the Kentucky Derby. Put your money on Sizemore's franchise. In the, in the, <laughs> it's going to sh- win place or show. I guarantee it. <laughs> so what? The, what uh, card game? What card game are they playing down here in this uh, this paradise for these for these uh, wounded soldiers? Seven card stud, gentlemen. I didn't see. Yeah, I didn't notice. They just mention it. They don't show them playing it, but they're having fun. They're drinking. They have two close ups of well, Cruz kind of turns into Defoe for, but Defoe is this kind of like hedonistic. Soldier, I know they weren't playing blackjack. Why? I'll stand. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they have a close-up of Defoe drinking uh, what he's mescal, and then he's he he, they close up on his mouth, and he's swallowing the worm. He has the worm in his teeth. He's like, that's when you know you've had enough mescal. You don't even notice you're drinking the worm. Mm-hmm. And later, yeah. Cruz does it, and then later, there's a guy, a bartender, that says, "Eat the worm." He has a T-shirt. Very focused on those those poor damn and worms down there. Let's let's tie two and two together here. Mm-hmm. Charles Koppelman on the soundtrack. Worm made it into Rounders. Ooh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it's, it's connected to your Zoom. So this is a vulgar, uh, explicit nudity sequence in the movie. It's vulgar. not. Oh my god, vulgar. There are so many words, uh, c words, and all that. He calls a oh. Mexican guy a taco head at one point. Willem Dafoe. Oh yeah, I thought you were talking about the sequence between. I thought you were talking about the scene between Cruz and the prostitute. That is yeah, a yeah. Gr- that's a great scene. It is a very good scene, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate I hate the fact that he sees her real side later on. That was a little rough. Well, he like, he's that, like a little. That was a kitty. beautiful scene. Yeah, he has a emotion. He thinks he has emotional connection with her. She, you know, acts attracted to him, and then later he buys her a present, wraps it, and then he's gonna bring bring it to her, and she, he sees her with another. You know, client, and he didn't like that. He gets sad it about does, it. It does. It does sober him up a little bit. Sobers him up, yeah. So, so necessary. And then there's that classic wheelchair fight, which is amazing. Him and Defoe together. Have they been together before That's, or after? I just, you know, you think. I don't oh, know. Wait. Last temptation. I forgot about that. It'd be great. I mean, they they're great together in this. Like they really, they have a really great scene, and they um, have such distinctly different acting styles. Mm-hmm. It's fun to kind of watch them together. He asked him, "Do you remember things that made sense?" Or, and you know, Defoe, who's been like, he's so angry at Cruz, and is just what is he calling him, like a piece of shit? And they're getting in an argument over who's killed more babies. Right. Cruz might actually have the he might have the gold medal, and like, he ain't. I, and I he feel like I took down the whole the whole village, the whole family. Right. Yeah. And Willem like Defoe like is is saying that you never did anything. Yeah. They both are having obviously a tough time dealing with it. Anyway, so. But yeah, Defoe is so incredible. He's like he ends the scene crying, and then you never see him again. Like it's he's done. Out of and here. I was hoping at the end he'd pop in. You know, you know. Hey, I wrote a book too, Tom Cruise. I'm speaking at this convention as well. It's called. Uh, I cleaned up Taco my act Head. too. It's called my time with Taco Head. Um, <laughs> he does. He then- does beat a prostitute in this, which is tough. He he does punch a prostitute because she said she laughs at his uh, unworking peep. Yeah. <laughs> And you, so you're supposed to, I don't know, feel sorry for him. It's a little tough. Yeah, but. you don't believe, just because Slick Rick says to treat her like a prostitute doesn't mean you actually should. But then our boy Ron Kovic goes back, cleans up his act a little bit, goes back stateside. He wants to purge his demon. And this he goes to the he, he goes to the grave site and then to the family home of the gentleman that he slaughtered and tells him his, he pours it out. That's another great scene, which I completely forgot existed in this movie. Yeah. It's tough. It's a, yeah, another powerful scene. Another good job. They should have cleaned up a little bit before the guy came over, though. <laughs> I think they did. That's what's scary. Yeah. 
That's Remember why that? I wasn't so sad that he got shot by Tom Cruise. I'm like, these people live like fucking animals. Like, you know, it's like, what they is got he chickens missing? over here. They get one dog's going one way, the other one's going this way. Like, what do you want from me? By the way, this reminds me in the in the scene when Cruise gets shot in the in the in Vietnam. Um, they Nuts show foot. They show the they show the gunner, the guy that's shooting the sniper, and then right next to him, there's a rooster. Did you notice this? Yeah. And it's flinching. It flinches when the guy shoots. So it's like a real, it's a real rooster, but it's just chilling. It's this guy. This guy's like I don't know, wingman, so to speak. But it's a spotter. But there's a buck. And then what I thought was interesting in this scene is this guy's got a million dogs in his yard, and he the dogs are amazing. They're so nice, and they he tells Cruz that they they're they're not used to your chair. They're 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 startled by your wheelchair. They don't know what to make of it. I thought that was a kind of putting words in the dogs' mouths a little bit, you know. Yeah. I don't think they looked that startled. Maybe Stone spent all day trying to get them to act startled, and it didn't work, but bad dog acting. People don't know how to deal with people in wheelchairs, so the guy was just, like, making shit. You know, he's like, ah, they must not like your wheelchair, because that's how he was feeling. Like, who wants, you know, kills the vibe. Some guy if you do, if, if you... If, I thought it was insensitive for their double-wide to not have a ramp. It wasn't even a double-wide. It was, like, a nice, like, little farmhouse. They just had, like, a bathtub, like, a bunch of trash, like a dishwasher in the front There's yard. A, there, was a, there was a weird chicken coop in the front yard, too. Yeah. So. Which, by the way, was kind of offensive as three guys that live in the South. That's how movie makers think that the South is. Like, just garbage everywhere. <laughs> like, you, you notice all the Confederate flags strewn you, about the fucking oh, uh, cemetery? Another way to say, another way to say, nailed it. They nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> Justin and I go on drives to the damn casino, and we pass through that exact squalor. But this is where, okay, so I, once he does confess to them, I think it liberates him, and he's able to kind of do what his 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 mission is, and, and that is to speak the truth about it. The war, obviously, yes, if the movie does lose some of its 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 energy in those last moments, but it is nice to see him restored to some extent. Well, even treat, I would almost treat that as the epilogue. I would treat. Him talking to the family as the, end the of finale. The third, third so year. he goes, yeah. like, I guess he goes to kind of protest it. That that whole sequence when he's protesting at like the Republican National Convention, whatever that is that they're protesting, the Nixon's, you know, whatever that he's event that he's speaking at. Uh, that whole sequence is great, and the guy that's helping him, I thought it was interesting. There's a guy that's kind of budding with Cruz, uh, pushing Cruz's wheelchair, and it turns out that guy's an undercover cop. And then goes to then when things start to kind of get out of hand, he arrests. Violently arrest Tom Cruise, and this yeah, guy has been undercover like as yeah. his buddy. I would say that's that becoming the most vile person in the film. Yeah, I, I felt like that scene was very effective to me because there was him, and then there was like these, you know, dipshits and straw hats that were overweight. That obviously, that scene was very powerful for me because what I loved was, you know, you see all these kind of guys that are in it, you know just like overweight, they're in their straw hats, and they're. <laughs> screaming at him about communists or whatever and it's like yeah you call him so, a traitor a guy who's actually well, served his country yeah like and call him a traitor and right and, and there was this great story yeah. so I, I you know if you, if you can just like you know give me this this second here so apparently the story goes that toby keith and chris christopherson were at willie nelson's 70th birthday party and um toby keith goes to chris christopherson at some point in the party and says hey none of that lefty shit tonight and so Chris Christopherson looks at Toby Keith and said, you know, son, have you ever worn your country's uniform? No. Have you ever killed a man and cast a check your country paid for you to do it? No. So shut the fuck up about, you know, lefty shit or whatever. And it's just like, it's that example of this, 
you know, and I think that goes back to like uh, Jerry Levine's character, right? Like there's these moments throughout the film where they sort of show the, you know, whether it's capitalism or the politicians that vote for war, but then are willing to do it right. Like at the end of the day, what war is, whether it's the United States or any other country is we're sending, you know, generally speaking, young people, but more specifically, poor young people off to, you know, die for Sometimes what may be considered more of a just cause, right? World War II being a good example, in other cases less so. And so I thought that scene, like there were moments where like I was like really getting fucking like heated because, you know, and it's a movie, but I'm like seeing these guys in their straw hats going like communists or whatever. And it's just like, well, that, that exists today, today. And that's yeah. a real. No, no. Well, here's the thing. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I said this on last week's show, but when I came out of Oppenheimer, I was standing there waiting. Uh, for the bathroom, and I, a guy was talking to his wife about how they call, he called it propaganda. No oh God, left. He said like lefty uh, propaganda. Lefty propaganda, which is uh, you couldn't even. He's not even the same room as the Mark. He missed it so bad. Yeah, but it's gotten to the point where if you if you veer slightly this way, you're instantly a fascist, and if you veer instantly this way, you're instantly a communist. There's no gray. That's when I mean that's a good not example of a time. Striper, you know what I'm saying? God damn it. But here's the thing, though, speaking, Nick. I think speaking, what's the, the, so the fallacy or the mistake is thinking that that's like some new phenomenon. No, like, that, that's, that's the gimmick. That's the system. And like we're yelling at each other. Meanwhile, the money keeps going out the back. Exactly. Door. That's what I'm saying. That, happening. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, 50 years ago, and it's nothing's really that different in that respect. That's right, John. I just want yeah. to let you know that you never have to ask permission to tell a Toby Keith gets bodied story on our podcast. <laughs> you know. Oh, I love Chris Christopherson, but yeah, no, I, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a, it, I, I guess it's so funny. Like I'm a very optimistic person and I think that I always keep that history in context. So when people are like, Oh my God, it's never been worse. It's like compared to what, right? Like, I mean, yes, it's, it could be better. And there are things today that are terrible, but the fact that if you really look at American history for 120 years, some dipshits are yelling about communism. Some other dipshits are yelling about fascism. And it's like, you know, it's that idea that I guess you just have to get comfortable understanding that if you just understand averages, you know, there's a large percentage of people that are fucking stupid anywhere you go and that they're easily sold these kind of, you know, simple narratives, right? We'll talk, you know, you're talking about integrity and we'll we'll test your integrity, talking all sexy about Chris Christopherson. We'll have you back for the Millennium episode and see uh, if you can put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> How about the Blade episode when we can really get into Chris? No, no, I don't want to make it easy for you. Plays Whistler. (laughs) The movie does wrap up sadly, and it's uh, it's basically showing us. And and I love this. Ron Kovic still, I was about to say, still walks the earth, (laughs) but that ain't true. (laughs) But he's still around, still doing it, still kind of relevant. It makes me happy. Rolling with his homies, I love it. He's a badass. He's, you know, I I don't know. You know, he's written some books. He's he's he's. He's, he's been through it, man. I'm happy he's out there. Yeah, no doubt. I'd like to think that he and Cruz, he invite, like Cruz invites him to a premiere now and then. I wonder if Cruz sends him, you know how they, he, Cruz is kind of famous for sending his actor uh, friends, you know, people he's worked with, this this cake. Do you ever hear this mm-hmm. story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if Kova gets, I wonder if he gets a cake. What's this the white cake? cake. It's just some kind of expensive white cake that people get. Yep. Yeah, the, from Tom Cruise as a gift. If you if he likes you, I guess, or if he's a working. Special kind of white cake, huh? 
white cake. I, I think about uh, in, um, Django and Chain. White cake. That's how Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio said. White. I love Django and Chain. I watch. You know what my favorite thing to do when you go to like an Airbnb or like even a hotel and people leave their Netflix logged in. I like to watch kind of like things that are really outrageous. Mm-hmm. on their um uh algorithm so when they're like family members log back in they're like why were you watching uh what's the movie the serbian um, film well i wish i was on netflix but it's the one where it's the stephen king film where she uh the girl's tied up gerald's got, game gerald's game yeah i always like to throw that one on for a few minutes just so that one's in there like you know recently watched you know just mm-hmm. to kind of like you know maybe make their By wife the way, upset with them who's been I, watching I, gerald's game <laughs> <laughs> exactly right screams throughout the house it's a fun little game i play with myself thank you for showing us what it would sound like if david lynch asked that question <laughs> i just didn't want to shout i try to, but, uh, try to imitate myself without shouting I tried the to funny do. thing is there was speaking of algorithms one of these social networks sent me a there was a thing that says this movie killed their career and it's a picture of carla gugino from gerald's game that did not kill her career that's a great movie. Clickbait. It she's is a great, great movie, in- and she's great in it, and she's amazing. So, Gugino, did, did always she ha- I mean, and it's not a shot against Carla Cagina, but did she ever have like a like she's a working actor that does I mean, a lot of good stuff? But I wouldn't say she's ever had like a career, you know, in the sense of like a movie. Oh, she's star got a great career. Well, she's not a movie star for sure. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, yeah. is yeah, you can't kill like a character actor. It's not like you know, oh, it's a major star or whatever that like you know. She she's been doing work for thirty years and killing it. She uh she's she's always in her hu- her husband's movies. She's married to a Who's director. I don't know, and you never hear those movies are always like very very small. And so I imagine she's like, okay, you know, I'll be in your movie, and then, uh, or you know, maybe she helps she, write them. She's like Julianne Moore in that regard. But then she has to go, or like who else is anyway? But then has to go and be in the actual like. Movies that are seen sometimes. Jamie you Lee know. Curtis. Yeah. I'll do your little guest film. So was uh, did Mike? Uh, what's his name? Do Gerald's game? Flanagan. Mike. Mike yeah. Flanagan. That's right. That's why it's so well, it's good. good. That's one of the best. I mean, it's good yeah, right up to the end. I, it, it has the same problem as the book. I, I think. What, just the, the big, they re, some, the they, big they, mentally they put, ill guy standing in the corner. They, yeah. They put clothes on yeah. her. Yeah. <laughs> what's he up to these days? I haven't He's heard anything out of Flanagan. Absolutely killing it. Got to deal with Amazon. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's doing... Uh, is he not doing Revival or something? He's doing... No, he wanted to. He wrote a script, but I don't think they're making it. He's, he has a Netflix show coming out, his last one, with like a bunch of people. It's like kind mm-hmm. of you know, kind of along the similar lines of the shows he's been doing, and then I don't know what it's called, and then he, I think he's got to deal with Amazon as well. So, yeah, he's... You know what I've been thinking about a lot recently is uh, the director of Dragged Across Concrete and Brawl and Subblock 99. Like, why is nobody throwing that guy money? Because he hasn't made a successful film yet, probably. So Craig good. Zoller or whatever his name is. Craig yeah, Craig, Zoller. yeah, Craig Zoller, that's right. Dragged Across Concrete, interestingly enough, I think about all the time. Like, it just sneaks into my brain. It's such a, a it's, rough It's, it's my third favorite of his movies, though. I know, but I, I, I don't know. I think it might be the best. Like, and I agree. Like, it's not rewatchable, but, man, it just stuck with me. Cruz gets that, dragged across concrete right at the end by that... Uh, piece of shit undercover cop yeah that's true good point yeah you're right nick that movie does feel like an epilogue but not in a negative way but you're right justin it's like they they could have balanced it maybe just a little bit well so the the last scene is like a victory lap right so he is now cleaned up he's going to speak to people his mom had a vision that they flash back to that he's important that he's saying something important to a lot of people which did happen people are asking to autograph his book oh he wrote a book you know that kind of thing you're finding all the successes that the movie is 
super bored by. Like they're not interested in, uh, or Stone isn't as interested in Kovic right now that he's that he is, you know, that he's got past all his demons or all the things. He's so in I a read, he's in a happier place basically, and it's not so as I interesting. Read something, I read Billy something. Eilish wrote a book, Justin. Let's not act like. I I read something though that you know because we touched on this earlier how like it was a lower budget film all things considered mm-hmm. and apparently they like during the de- uh, the the Republican National Convention they filmed additional scenes after production was complete they did so it's like I wonder if maybe there was some you know challenges that they had with budget and and had to rush some things because you know once again it was like a brief little thing on Wikipedia but during that that riot kind of sequence they actually went back and filmed additional scenes to bolster yeah, it's it not very cinematic the too the stuff that we're talking about is not that cinematic it's it's great that we see the result but him uh him buying a word processor <laughs> <laughs> on steady cam you heard that they 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 got a little bit far into pre-production ja- jackie chan was going to star as kovic and they had a whole they worked out a whole wheelchair fight sequence that's gonna be half an hour long How you can just that? cut that out um, um i tried jackie, jackie chair i mean i love this movie i think it's great i think it's a great one yeah it's i good. love it yeah, he, that's the thing. He used to be known as an actor like like this that you can depend on for these big, like meaty, dramatic roles, right? And then he had like a couple failures, and then just became action guy. I don't think that's the case. I don't. I don't think. That, totally I don't think the he's case. Shying away from drama. When's the last think, time he did a movie like this? Never. Let's talk about Rock of Ages for a while. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. What I'm saying is, I just know, and I've heard him say this. Like, there's a ticking clock for him to be able to do the, the Mission Impossible movies, and those. He has to get those. Done. He was for a while. He was a little bit. I don't know if he's box office poison, but he definitely had a career lull, and then he kind of started building himself up as the as the action guy. Well, I don't know if, I, if if it meant we don't get Jack Reacher or these new missions. I don't think it's. A, I, I'm I'm happy with. The I'm ha- I like the I like his career too right now, and obviously, certainly Maverick had some of that in it. Some of the kind of old school Tom Cruise, whatever. It's he just doesn't do this anymore, really. This kind of stuff. Just you wait. Think it's happening? So the credits come up. There's some There's some good stuff in here. Mm-hmm. I got to say, so, John, what we do is we usually give each other the initials. And I'm going to give one that's not a joke, but it's amazing synergy. RM in the credits. Did you write this down? Let me look. I made some notes here. I don't have an RM. So do you remember what Willem Dafoe's character's name was in To Live and Die in L.A.? No, we did that, though, on the show. That's a good Rick one, John, Ma- by the way. Rick Rick Masters. And there's a guy in the credits for this, Rick Masters. Screw John, have you seen up. that movie? Did, we didn't do that movie with you, did we? No, no, we, no you did not. And did I, you ever see it? I'm embarrassed to say I have You need not. to see it. I you know. need to see it's, it. It's the most Michael Mann film Michael Mann never made. You, you would know. love that movie. Yeah. I'm just saying that you would love that movie. I'm, I I, yeah, 100%. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you, and I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. I actually bought it on iTunes and have not watched it. That's how. All right, how about R.A.? Are you talking about Real Andrews? I am talking about Real Andrews. Good call. He's one of the what actors. What a great name. How about A.T.? I don't have that one. Alan Toy? Oh, God, I missed <laughs> it. Cu- what a cute name. <laughs> By the way, one of the best names in it is F.W. I don't have it. Frank Whaley. That's one oh. of the best. Oh. Come on. I know he's in the... What he- about... Okay, what about J.N.? Are you talking about mm. Jeff Nightbird? With the, with a Y. <laughs> yep. Jeff Nightbird, but the, instead of an I, it's a Y, which makes it even more mysterious. This guy was uh, super thirsty on set. Did you get D.C. in here? I did not. You didn't see Dean Coke in Jesus the credits? Christ. Talk about the least thirst-quenching material on planet Earth. <laughs> BC? I don't have it. Bud Carr? Bud Carr. We've actually had him in one before, too, yeah, right? Man. All right, what about EEC? 
Eagle Eye Cherry, baby. <laughs> I didn't realize that was I. You know, is that his real name? Number one. Number two. Was he around in that? Apparently, I thought wasn't he a one hit wonder in the nineties? Yep. Yeah. yeah he had was. a song on the soundtrack. No. no, he was in the movie, but maybe what? playing in a band or something. But yeah, no, Eagle Eye Cherry a... was the name of a musical act. Yeah. So, did you guys have RG in here? JG, JG Robert J. Grind Grindrod. Yeah, was not a <laughs> consultant on this film. If you film me, because <laughs> he couldn't. How about uh, LS? Leanne Stonebreaker. I got her. Yeah, that's right. What a DH? Dion Hatch. In this. <laughs> How about LR? Leroy Roper. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, you out? One. I'm out. By the way, Marco Rubio was in this film. A different spelling, thankfully. Yep. <laughs> oh, God. So, look, you've been asked by the gods to get a tattoo from Born on the Fourth of July. What are you going to put on your body? So, I've got it. I've got one. What I would do is it would be the words, ain't nothing but a thing, and then there would be an image of a, a soldier getting shot in the forehead with a bullet. Because that guy, there's a sequence where this character uses that. Ain't nothing but a thing. He says it like seven times, talking about how hot it is. And then that guy just gets murked right in the forehead. So I think that would be my tattoo. Just a guy getting shot with ain't nothing but a thing. He made it. Yeah, just. He, he didn't do well. Mine would be a little crossover here because, like I said, the character Styles uh, from Teen Wolf is Jerry Levine, who plays his friend, the donut hole guy, the donut hole burger guy. The burger you know? hole, yeah. And um, so I would get a picture of the Teen Wolf van. And then instead of Teen Wolf, you know, remember they did the van surfing in that movie? Mm -hmm. Instead yeah. of Teen Wolf, I would have Ron Kovic in his wheelchair on top of the van, and he'd be a werewolf. And then Styles would be in the kind of the forefront of my tattoo, and, and, and he'd have like a speech bubble that says, because I'm in both. A wheel wolf. <laughs> the first balding werewolf, by the way, in, in my tattoo. <laughs> um also, a, a good horse to bet on if you can. Balding werewolf. <laughs> my tattoo is I have uh, a, a US, U.S. currency on my across my nipples. Yeah. And it's the $1 bill, it's, except instead of George Washington, I've got his, his Washington from the VA hospital changing his bedpan as the uh, figure. <laughs> Washington! Place is a slum! Look, credits have rolled. Lo and behold, mm. there is a stinger at the end of this movie. A little extra scene. What you got? I got a good one, like, actually. I'll go first. Daniel Baldwin's in the end of this movie, and whereas um, McGinley's pushing Cruz to the to go speak at this convention, and behind McGinley is Daniel Baldwin. And he's laying his head on the other yeah, guy. Yeah, and he's squeezing his face into the shot as he listens to COVID kind of talk a little bit. Anyway, my extra scene is just, the camera follows Daniel Baldwin to his apartment, and he's making a sandwich and just shaking his head is like incredible speech. Just so good. He's as he's is making it like a little, you know, BLT. Just oh man, he really he crushed it. He's oh so good. Just muttering it to himself as he makes a sandwich. And then it takes a gigantic bite and that's how the movie ends. Now so he made Bruce Lee tenders when he was at his house? Like in a lot of the Marvel movies, you know how they introduce like the new villain? So it's like the movie ends in nineteen seventy six, so Carter gets elected, right? So Who's coming right around the corner? But old Ronnie Reagan. So he rolls up on a on a horse and just says, you know, you know all that middle class uh, that you know the last forty or fifty years, the whole middle class you guys have gotten used to. We're gonna fuck that up and destroy it. So, <laughs> the horse says this. Well, Ronnie Reagan says it, but he oh. just comes in on a horse, you know. So mine is it's a scene. It's a it's a callback to the scene where he visits Kira Cedric at Syracuse University, where she's called away to help 
with a pressing need, and it cuts to her on the other side of the door, and the guy drags her in, straightens her up in the shower, has an emotional moment with that gentleman, springboards up and down. Jake Weber, apparently. I read that uh, that scene was didn't happen, right? Like, there wasn't... There was a protest at Syracuse, but it didn't She didn't get straightened up in the police, shower? So <laughs> that, but also Oliver Stone had to write a letter of apology to the Syracuse Police Department because they, apparently they didn't crack any hippies' skulls that, that oh, day. Oh, that scene uh, didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you know, they blended probably four or five things into one thing or whatever. Syracuse police officers were really upset. That's where Abby Hoffman so showed up. Abby Hoffman yeah. shows up at this this thing. So I was just, wondering, was that supposed to be Abby yeah. Hoffman? I it was yeah, him, okay. and then he killed yeah. himself right afterwards. <laughs> it wasn't actually him. It absolutely was. That it was, was him? him? Real guy. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. And okay. then he left the world. Look, you've been given the financing to straighten Kira Sidrick up in the shower. I mean, to have your own sequel to Born on the Fourth of July. How are you going to take that hard-earned, make Such it a, count? Such a good question. Mine's going to be about Willem Dafoe's character after you know after the events of this movie. Oh yeah, we get to, we get to follow Ron you know Ron Kovic's ascension, but mm-hmm. we I think the movie kind of has a, a negative opinion on on where Willem Dafoe's character may have gone. I got good news. He uh, sobered up. He got uh, a ride back to the states, mm-hmm. and uh, and a ride. In. He he he's he lives his life on a ride. What do you mean he got a ride? <laughs> he rolled into America and he got he went and got his equivalency and got his degree. The movie ends with him. He was uh, doing some digital touch-up work. He went to he went to digital animation school, and right as the film ends, we get to see his first paying job. He gets to do some digital touch-up on Banjo Kazooie. And he gets to color apes in. Is that why Banjo Kazooie is obsessed with swallowing small worms in that game? That's how he, that's how he gains health. Is that? I thought you said you didn't see Oppenheimer. My scene, my sequel is going to be the sequel. It's called uh, Spinning Spinning on the Fourth of July and other holidays, and it's it's a kind of a Ratatouille type sequel. Featuring that rat that was in the hospital and spinning, <laughs> spinning vinyl, like he becomes a, a world-renowned DJ. What do you think? But he's seen some shit, Nick. He was that's that was a tough. That, that's not only tough on the soldiers in that hospital. He's he's having tough times too. He had to scrounge up from that terrible food they had. Anyway, he yeah he's. What do you think, John? Uh, I, I mean, for me, mine was um, about Jerry Levine, and um, basically, what would happen is you know. Him and Ray Kroc, they're going side by side. Their burger empires are growing. And then one day, somebody recognizes or realizes there's a hole in their burger and then just strangles them to death. <laughs> and um, so infuriated by the fact that, you know, they were deprived from that. And then that they robs invent, you of chocolate. Then yeah. a day later, they invent comment cards. And the guy's like, oh, shit. <laughs> I saw a trailer for the, the Saw sequel, Jigsaw. Did you see it, Nick? No. I'm just going to interject here. Jigsaw, you know, he's got cancer famously. He's the bad guy in the Saw series. He goes to get it taken care of to get it removed. And they do. But then it's a scam that he goes back home. The doctors tell him they didn't remove the cancer. It was a huge scam that these people pulled off on Jigsaw. And the movie's about him getting revenge. (laughs) Poor scam artist that somehow mistakenly decided to scam Jigsaw himself. So now all of a sudden they're stuck in a room that they have yeah, to... He traps like, them. Yeah. But I then mean, he's the good guy because he's getting revenge on the horrible people. I'd say know? one thing I'm proud to admit is I haven't seen one single solitary song movie oh, in my whole this life. Is treat yourself. With, treat yourself. This is fucking with me. Mm-hmm. 
Because I just got, I just sold my my fucking pitch on Leatherface sending money to a Dubai prince. <laughs> I'm fucked. It's incredible. And then the, there's a trailer reveal at the end. They they have a, a huge trailer reveal. It's Shawnee Smith. Oh God! In the trailer. Is she incredible. She's in there. She's doing it. Lord. I like that she's getting paid. Look, you've been given the finance to have your own business associated with Born on the Fourth of July. Hey, spending it, man. I would just say wheelchair salesman. I feel like there was a lot of opportunity during the Vietnam era era to to, to move some wheelchairs. So that's the business I would start. I'm glad you're not competing with my business because it's called mine's called real chair, <laughs> and it's a it's real dolls in a wheelchair. That's, oh, okay. I mean, you're not inventing anything. But their dicks sure don't work. That's the problem, Nick. No, like, no, but that's the thing. That's how good my product is. It's, it's got high-end hydraulics and stuff, so it really does kick ass. And if you, and if not, they're filled with um, explosives, so you could detonate that that body if you'd like to. What about you, Just? Oh, I was going to say, inventing a sex toy that, that also could blow up sounds dangerous to me. <laughs> um, it's got dual purposes. But hey... I'm gonna do the um, you can candy close up worms that as seen in Born on the Fourth of July that you can just kind of put in between your teeth. You know, I'll make them different flavors. They don't have to be an alcohol. You can make them for the kids as well. You know what I'm saying? Just little close up candy worms, kind of they like ma- sour they patch make kids that for kids. What dude? What the little tiny the worms? Worm, the little worms you can eat out. Yeah, there you go. Cased in candy. Willem Dafoe really eats that worm and he puts it betwixt his teeth. Yeah, he really. Yeah, it's like all of it. Yeah, it's it's upsetting, really, to look at. I don't like seeing people slurp and eat. Have you guys gotten a twenty three and Me DNA test done ever? Always, because one of the things that it came up with for me is it says I really hate the sound of people chewing, and my whole life became clear to me. It's like why I'm like it says know, that it does. It's it, it says I I'm a higher likelihood for being really upset when people make loud noises chewing. So, oh my God. like, my life came into clarity in a way that I did not expect just getting a DNA test. But yeah. Travis Walton did a 23 Mac and me. <laughs> Look, you're in the movie. You've been added to the running time of Born on the Fourth of July. What shape does your performance take? That's a good question. I'd be the guy that's uh, having to deal with all the holes they punch out of the, the hamburgers. Because, like, he acts like it's this big cost savings, but... Like somebody's got to deal with those little small and like you know make bigger burgers and then have another hole. It's like an it's like a it's the guy who's in Greek mythology who's got to push a rock up a hill all the time. I believe his name is Kalagos Kovac. That's that guy's life. It's like every time I make a burger, there's another smaller burger I got to deal with, and it you know just that that would be my my character. Sisyphus is that how you, yeah. is that the guy? Sisyphus, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. So. In that scene at the Vietnamese village. Uh, <laughs> I love where this is going already. I'm a medic, and um, those guys evacuate, and I pull out uh, a box of Band-Aids, and I start to put them on some of the blown-out body parts. A cotton swab I'll dab against a head stump. You're the true optimistic doctor in the movie. And then um, I, I, I said, guys, and then the, the, the airstrike happens, and that's the last word I hear from <laughs> Guys, I'm the nosy neighbor of the family that Cruz visits at the end to confess, <laughs> and then he he's having his emotional confession, telling the family, and they're you know the camera whipping around showing the faces of the people listening to him, and then you just hear me from Blackway go, "You did what?" <laughs> you know, like shouting through the you know, 
What do you think? I like it. <laughs> then I'm running toward the house to try to get a closer ear on it. It's hard to make fun of this movie. It's hard to add funny things to it because it's like a real story that's sad. That's always yeah. been a problem for me, too. <laughs> um, look, you've been asked to incorporate something from Born in the Fourth of July into your life, a mantra, a ritual, discipline. Nick was in rare form during a perfect storm, also a tragedy. <laughs> and I was trying to put some guardrails on it that he kicked into the stratosphere. <laughs> End up bringing the real bones of the real people to his island. <laughs> <laughs> for a good reason obviously it won't it will be no longer be just because the mind has such a profound effect on me it will no longer be saying penis in my home i was gonna say big erect penis but <laughs> either that or ain't nothing but a thing because that guy did say that seven times before his his corporal got shot in the face what about you guys i'm never gonna cast my son in a movie because oliver stone felt compelled to shove his his little son into this movie and it ain't good what? Sonny even had a cold sore when they were filming this one. Oh, that was his kid? Yeah. Who was his kid? And one of the brothers. Sean that... Stone, uh, who was also in JFK, he had dialogue in JFK, which was rough. But who did he play? He, he plays like the younger brother of Ron Kovic. It's, uh, it's, it's jarring. Sean Stone in this, huh? He's still out there? Yeah, he actually is. Still killing it? He, he's probably met Putin. Putin, whatever. <laughs> you can say Putin. <laughs> I don't say his, I've not said his name out loud many times, so it felt weird. That's is a good Pu- thing. Is it Putin? It's Putin. It's Putin, right? but Putin, I mean, who yeah. knows? Who gives who cares? a fuck, fuck that, that guy. piece of shit is? All right. Yeah, fucking. Look, man, you're on an island. You've been trapped for all these many years, gathering debris from films, and now it's time to take something from Born of the Fourth of July. What you bring in? So I've got one that came into mind immediately, and it's only because of something I brought from Basic Instinct, but I want to bring Ron Kovac's unworking penis to match... <laughs> Sharon Stone's vagina. Holy smoke. And I get it, Sharon Stone, because Oliver Stone. I get the connection, John. Nice. Nice. And Sean Stone, too. I get the connection. And Jess Stone, my favorite series of movies. (laughs) So you're going to bring his... That's interesting. Well, I mean, I got a a vagina. Might as well have an extra penis lying around. You never know when you might What else you got on that island? Your island has turned into a mini island of horrors, much like Nick. (laughs) Major. I'm trying to remember from Mulholland Drive. It's something to do with Jennifer... Conley, probably. You, did you take her smash form that was like <laughs> that she fell from the airplane? Did you, you didn't take Maybe. that? Did you? I For some remember. reason, I think it may have been preclaimed. <sighs> yeah, I'm trying to remember what Nick Kate Pierce. Yeah, it's all kinds of problems. I might bring that uh, that baton they're twirling at the beginning of the movie in the parade. They throw it up in the sky, and you, it's you, twirling like 2001. You're like, are they going to do a 2001? You know, like kind of riff here. And they don't. I thought there was going to be a transition for sure because yeah. the firework already happened. I was like, yeah. "Oh, the baton's going to turn into something," but it didn't. So, two thousand and one is Tom Cruise's second favorite year after Y two Cake. What if the twirling baton comes down and then it just then transitions to him jerking off in the bathroom to that Playboy? Because that's exactly what he does. Because remember when he comes home and he goes, "They're having dinner." He goes, "Dad, can I go to my room?" Runs yeah. immediately to his room where his hidden Playboy is. Yeah. Gonna go rub you know, it out. Stone doesn't have to tell me what's going on. You know, I thought it's because he had, he couldn't eat because he had to drop weight. Yeah, I know. But what was he gonna uh, do? On yeah, his he, he was gonna drop some weight, weight for sure. <laughs> yeah, he was definitely dropping some weight. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll take his dropped weight to my island. <laughs> Ron Kovac seed. God, 
around COVID? No, I'm going to take. <laughs> let's see here. Yeah, I'm going to take all of the. Uh, I'm going to take the baseball field, and all the baseball equipment to my island. Oh wow! Yeah, well, that's appropriate. I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to have a nice little setup there, mm-hmm. where I can have, you know, a little bit of recreational time. I'm listening. You know, and I've got, I've I've gathered debris from various films. I'm sure I could put a team together. Oh, well, here's where it gets dark. And you could, you know, and you and you're in the cheap seats across there, so you can see across, you know. And then you'll just see me. You'll see me. I'll do. I'll be taking BP. BP. Yeah. Who's that? A, a batting practice, and I'll be hitting the ball. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you'll be like, uh, you'll see a glint, a reflection coming off the bleachers, and 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 you're like, who is? What is on the bleachers? And I and I, and then I'll have to, I'll through with the loudspeaker. I'll say, no, that's that's his dropped weight. I brought his dropped weight as well, so I've got it's spectating. So I, what I'm saying is I'm practicing baseball for Ron Kovic's come. I mean, of course. <laughs>